The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. So if you have Acts 4 turned open, if you will stand in reverence of that God. I'm going to read the verse 22 verses, but we're going to do the whole chapter. It says this. <clears throat> and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power? Or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name among there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But, G- but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had, f- and when they had further threatened him, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Oh God, the God of our universe, Lord and Master and Creator, we are in awe of you this morning. We are in awe of all that you have done. And we were reminded from Acts 4 
that it is by your name, it is by the name of Jesus that people are saved. And it is worth our lives to be sacrificed to take that name to our neighbors and to the nations. Lord, help us this morning and give us boldness after this as we're sent out into the world to proclaim you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, where are you going? Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This was the conversation that Peter, same Peter we were just talking about, had with Jesus. And if you remember from the Gospels, Peter is a boisterous guy. And he's always at the right hand of Jesus. And and Jesus has been investing in Peter. He even told Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. So Peter is coming to him fervent because, you know, Jesus has been foretelling of his death. And Peter is saying, "I'll, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll do anything for you. You fast forward to the cross where, where Jesus is being, uh, is in court. He, he's being uh, examined. And people come up to Peter three times and they say, Do you, you, you're one of his disciples, right? What does he say? No. Says it again. Are you not one of his disciples? No, I'm not. And then a third time, I saw you with them. No, you have the wrong person. And so you have Peter, who just got done saying, Lord, I'll, I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. I'll use everything I have to do for you. But then when, it, when the rubber met the road, when someone questioned him because Jesus was, was going to where he foretold he was going to go, Peter fell. And even at the crucifixion of his Savior, Peter wasn't present. He was full of fear. But we've been going through Acts And we see a different Peter. We see a different group of disciples. Because what have we seen? We saw in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes, right? And they go out and they preach. Peter preaches. And then we just got done in Acts chapter 3 where he goes to a lame man and, and he's healed and he preaches to the people the name of Jesus Christ. So what my question to you this morning, as we think about Peter, as we think about this contrast we see is, let me ask you this question, what is the difference? What's the difference? Back in John, when he denies Jesus, to now where he's proclaiming Christ. I'll tell you the difference is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God filling Peter It is not Peter conjuring up his personality and saying, you know what, I failed before, this time I'm going to get it right. No, it is the Spirit of God giving Peter and John boldness to proclaim Jesus. And we talk about Peter and John a lot, we talk about the disciples a lot, but let us be reminded, and we just read it, these are normal guys. Normal blue-collar guys. The text even tells us they're uneducated. We even see it in the Scripture. Peter, when Jesus is being arrested, he pulls out his knife and cuts the guy's ear off. 
So we see Peter, we see John, we see all these guys, and they're just normal sinners, just like you and me. But the difference is that when the Spirit comes, they are being emboldened to take that same gospel message to the nations. And we see in Acts chapter 3, really when we get to chapter 4, there's no break here. It is the same exact story. We ended with Peter, he's preaching, God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you to your, from your wickedness. And then chapter 4 starts with this. And as they were speaking, so Peter is still preaching, John is still preaching, they are speaking the words of God. And as this is happening, we get into chapter 4, it says this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Before we dive any further, we got to know who these people are. Because we don't really have these guys around right now. The Sadducees is who they're talking about. This group of religious leaders coming from a, a priestly family. They were the elite in society. Um, some interesting things about them is that they only read and believed in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in, a, in an afterlife or anything like that. And they were also appeasers to Rome. They, they, they were interested in keeping the status quo, okay? And you saw that with Jesus, right? You saw when Jesus came, he would have confrontations. Jesus was before this group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin when he was condemned to die. Because they saw what Jesus was doing, and they saw Jesus was getting these followers, and there was something happening among the people, and the Sadducees are like, we got to do something about this guy. we got to figure this out, because we cannot lose our power. We can't lose our influence. we got to stop this. And they crucify Jesus, but he doesn't stay dead. It's the same group of religious leaders here. And that's important for us to know as we read the rest of this, because this is the first in Acts, this is the first contentious, uh, threatening conversation that the uh, apostles are going, going to have with the religious leaders. Verse 2 says this about the religious leaders, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so, what I want us to see here as we keep going, there's a contrast, okay? There's a contrast between these Sadducees, these religious leaders, and the apostles. And it's stark. Because you have the educated, um, highly influencers that are coming towards, they're annoyed because of these uneducated men are coming and preaching something subversive to what they believe. But let me tell you something. They're not as much concerned about the theological resurrection stuff as much as they're concerned about losing their reputation, about losing what's important to them, about losing their influence and their power and the status quo, the comfort that they have, the influence they have. They're more concerned about that. And for us, you know, we read that, and we're like, oh, religious, yeah, they're, they're terrible, but when we're confronted with something, especially the truth of God, that's inconvenient, we often respond the same way. We often respond with being annoyed or frustrated. Right now, as we speak, I have a leaky freezer. Anytime anything in my house breaks, I'm not Bob or Dennis, okay? I don't know how to do things. I have to YouTube it. Anytime in my house something breaks, I just put it off. 
And the reason I do that is because I'm busy. I, I don't have time to deal with that. I don't have time to learn how to do that. I don't, and I certainly don't want to pay someone to do it. And all the time while that's happening, my freezer is leaking. Water's getting onto the, onto the ground. I'd send Gabby to send paper towels, mop it up, and then it happens again. And I know that over and over again, over time, as I'm putting it off, that water's getting underneath there. My, my flooring's going to swell up. It's going to get worse and worse. Even as I'm saying it to you right now, I'm like stressing about it. So I know the truth of the situation. I know what's happening, yet I keep putting it off because it doesn't, it doesn't coincide with what I need to do. Well, I need to do this. I'd rather be doing this. This does not fit with what I'm trying to do right now. This is disrupting my life. This is disrupting my status quo when things break. But we often have things like that in our life which disrupt our status quo that we try to suppress and put away when we're confronted with the truth of God. And let me tell you something. If you're in here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus and have not given your life to him, you're being confronted with this truth now. That you're a sinner and God loves you and he, wants, and he died for you so that you would trust in him and follow him. But oftentimes we put that aside because it doesn't fit with our, our life path right now. It doesn't fit with the vacation I want to go on. It doesn't fit with the career choice I have. It doesn't fit with my home that I want to buy. It doesn't fit with all these things that we make excuses for. So we're not that far off from the Sadducees here, being annoyed. But what we see is a pattern. And we're going to see this again in Acts, okay? We're going to see this pattern. And here, here's the pattern. One, you, you see the truth of God. You see what the truth is. You see what it is is the problem. You see, hey, here's the truth. And then number two, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to consider, how does this fit within my own wants, desires, and plans? And then you've got to make a choice, number three. What's your choice? Are you just going to put that off and suppress that or are you going to obey God even if it's inconvenient, inconvenient for you? Even if it means sacrifice? Even if it means some unpleasantness somewhere else in your life? Is, is the truth of God, is God's word important enough to you to crucify your own desires, to, to put away your own motives and plans to pursue him what he wants you to do? And the sooner you realize that you can't thwart or outmaneuver the sovereign Lord of the universe, the better off you will be. Do you bear witness to this truth? Or do you suppress it? And so all throughout here, you have verse 2, you have where they're annoyed. And then when you go to verse 13, I'm going to be hopping around a little bit. You see this from the Sadducees. Now, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They were and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So here they come all hot and bothered. And then when they're confronted, when Peter preaches to them, now they got nothing to say. They've seen this sign. They've seen this wonder, this man healed. And they've been preached the truth of God. And now they are silent. It's ironic, isn't it? Because you have the accusers coming to accuse, and now the accusers are the ones that are silent, and the accused are the ones speaking boldly. You go down to 15, verse 18. It says, but they, they commanded them to leave the council. They conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed 
through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread, here it is, spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak about it anymore. They don't even have a plan. They're like, let's just tell them not to do that anymore. We, we can't let this go on any further. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all. So what do they try to do here? They're trying to suppress it. Instead, they're confronted with the truth of God, Jesus and his resurrection. And instead of believe that, for their own gain, they suppress it. They put it aside. Just like us. We do the same thing. And of course, we wouldn't say that about the gospel, we, but we would say that a lot about a lot of things that God would have us do. Sacrificing ourselves for one another. But you see this response of the Sadducees. You see the way they respond to the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus and his resurrection. And we contrast that with the boldness of Peter. Because what you have, you have the, the silent Sadducees. They don't know what to do. They're just trying to manipulate and outmaneuver the situation. But you have Peter and John speaking the truth, proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. And they're doing it boldly. Because again, think of who they are. They're just normal guys. He was a fisherman called by God, called by Jesus to, to follow him and then to take that message. But he's not just doing it on his own. We've got to know the source from which he's, he's gaining this boldness from. And of course, we know that source. Verse 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Pastor Casey's talked about this a lot, right? That the Lord comes and he will, fill, he will fill people with the Holy Spirit, his believers with the Holy Spirit, in order that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we know that it's not Peter that is just mustering this up, all right? Because we see Peter, right? He's kind of a brash guy, all right? Think of, I mean, I think of like our political landscape right now. You have, if you turn on the TV, it's not an election right now, but during an election, they have these so-called debates, Right? where you have a line of people and they're supposed to be debating the issues, we all know that that does not happen. They take turns grandstanding. They take turns just, just condemning one another and personally attacking one another. They're not concerned with the issues. They're not concerned with the truths in which they're trying to, to, to communicate. Instead, they're just trying to make themselves look better than the other. Just brash. Brash is not the same as bold. A lot of times we say, wow, look at that guy. He's, he's a bold leader. A lot of times, what we mean to say is, man, that guy's a jerk. Boldness is not being a jerk. You don't see, you see a different Peter and John here. They're coming and they're preaching the gospel. Their personalities are not being the offense here. The only offense to the people hearing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are just being faithful. But you notice that God is the one giving them the Holy Spirit. Brecht just came up here and talked about this. He just talked about being afraid, and I think we can all agree with that. We can all, uh, we can all identify with that, being afraid to talk about the gospel to somebody else. But what we've got to realize this morning is that boldness, we can't just conjure that up. It comes from God. We want to pray for this boldness. The source of our boldness is not ourselves. Because if the source of your boldness is yourself, 
you're just going to make sure to try and control the kingdom that you're trying to build all the time. You're always going to be trying to concerned with what you've got going on. You're always going to be concerned about your life, the leisure you have going on, your comfort, your plans. That's all you're going to be worried about. It leads to blindness. And you see this with the Sadducees. They're, they're blinded. They're, they're so far gone. They, they don't even, you notice that they don't even address the theological concerns Theological concerns that Peter and John are bringing up about the resurrection. They don't even address Jesus and his crucifixion. They don't even talk about that amongst themselves. What do they do? They immediately see, we've just got to get, we got to get this controlled. Because what they're seeing is believers in the thousands coming to believe this gospel message. They don't, they don't even care about it. They become so hardened and blind to the truth all they care about is themselves. And guys, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, this life that we live, it's full of distractions. But a lot of the times, we're the ones that make it a distract, distraction. I'll, I'll tell you something, something that, because I, I dealt with this personally, I'm going to confess that to you, and I think I've said this before, something that makes me sick to my stomach is when I, I go to work and the way children are talked about. All right? We're reminded children are a gift, a blessing from God every time. Even, even conservative people who would affirm like, yes, no abortion, we want pro-life, but then they talk about children as there's something to be just put away and neglected, as they're just a constant disruption. And we're about to have, okay, we're about to have a church building full of constant disruptions at VBS. I have literally chased a child while the skit was going on across the stage. He was fast, deceivingly fast, okay? But am I going to let that stop me from taking the gospel to that child? That child needs Jesus. They're not something to just be put away. Their lives created. They're to be arrows in a quiver, to be sent out to the nations, to believe and worship God and, and to tell others about him. And so as we get ready for that, I know a lot of times this time of year it's busy, it's crazy, we got a lot of stuff going on. We're about to spend, you know, all of your waking moments after outside of work, spending here with kids running around screaming. But guys, they are more than constant disruptions. We are called to love them, care for them, and teach them the gospel. That's why what's going on over there, what's going on downstairs right now, it's not babysitting. It's teaching the gospel. But the problem is, if you, if you, just, if you only care about yourself, and here's a good test of, of if you're only caring about yourself, do you just view it as a disruption? Do you just view it as something you want to get away from? I use kids as, as an example because we have a lot of them here. But there are several things in our lives that can be this for us. Seems that things that seem inconvenient. But they're not. Next we look, look with me in verse 23 for the power to proclaim. It says this, when they, we kind of shift scenes, by the way. We're, we're going from, you know, they, they, they let Peter and John go. 
because they don't know what to do with them. They say, hey, don't do this. And they say, we're going to do it anyway. And they're like, uh, okay, well, just we're going to threaten you some more. Just get out of here. And we're going to see further persecution later. But notice what they do next. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Note, when I say friends here, I'm talking about the church, the community of believers. You can't escape it in Acts. They don't just go somewhere and, you know, try and escape the things that are happening to them. They don't just get arrested and are scared and, and, and flee. No, they, they return to the church and they report what has happened. Want, and this is just powerful. This whole scene here with the, with the church Follow along in verse 24. And when they heard it, when the church heard this report of what has happened, this report of being arrested and standing before the religious leaders and being threatened, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with your word and with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What you have here, you have, they know, from this report, they know what's coming. In fact, Jesus has said it, you are going to be persecuted. And they know that persecution, if they believe, just by believing this and living out this life, that persecution is coming. And for us, I was talking with the guys before this, I was like, it's hard to connect us to the level of persecution that they are actually going to experience. They're going to be taken. They're going to be fed to lions. They're going to be crucified. They're going to be bitten. They're going to be whipped. All sorts of terrible things are going to happen to them. But what do they do? Because the choice here is they, they can just say, okay, well, let's, uh, let's just hide for a little bit, right? Seems logical, let's hide. But instead, they don't turn to themselves, they turn to God. They turn to God. And what's interesting, I don't know if you remember, so back in the Old Testament, you have King Hezekiah, and at that time, um, he's king uh, in Judah, and his city is surrounded by the greatest fighting force known to man. And there is no chance, there is no chance of them defeating this army. This army is laying siege to them. There's no getting out of that. But what Hezekiah does, which is great, he prostrates himself before the Lord, and he asks God, Lord, please do this for your name. Deliver us from this. What does God do? God does it. He delivers the city, he, he destroys the army without one little help from the army, the people inside the city. So Hezekiah prays for deliverance and the Lord answers. But you notice here, it's the same type of prayer, except they're not asking for deliverance. 
They're asking for boldness because the Spirit has come. The Spirit has come and will fill them. They're asking for boldness to take this message in the midst of persecution. This church, these believers know where their confidence lies. They know that this, their confidence, their hope, their trust comes from the object of their faith, Jesus Christ. I want us to see here too that, that this boldness that we're talking about, it, it's, it's accompanying and enacts with miracles and signs, but these miracles and signs are always meant to point people to and validate the word of God being spoken to them. Boldness is always tied to speaking the word of God, to speaking truth. It's not just being bold about something. Boldness is, tie, is tied specifically for speaking God's word. And we talk about it and we think about it, which is rightly, because the context here is talking about talking to someone who is lost about the gospel. Yes, and amen. But something for us too, just like a side application for you, this also means that we're to speak the word of God to one another as the church, living in community with one another, which we're about to see some of that. And speaking to God boldly to one another. But oftentimes, we're, we don't often, we're not going to face the persecution here, right here in Kentucky that they're facing, but we do face awkwardness. We face fear, like Breck was saying. We, we, we fear losing friendships, family members, because of this message and sharing, sharing this with them. But oftentimes, even in the church, we're afraid of that. We're afraid of awkwardness. We're afraid to, to, to call somebody to repentance, to call a brother who's in sin and pull them out. Even to comfort someone who is suffering. We don't know what to say. We never know what to say when someone's suffering. I'm going to encourage you this morning. We don't know what to say. Speak God's word. There's a lot of words in this book. And I, I'm going to bear witness of that working. Um, recently, something difficult happened in my family. We we're anticipating adopting a child, and uh, we had been waiting uh, and waiting for this. And many of you stepped up and you, you gave towards this adoption. And I mean, some of you just gave, I, I, I was shocked, you know, I was just blown away by the generosity of this church and the people, even in my family, and, you know, so much hope was put in this, we, we felt like, oh, this is the one, this is the one that's, that's coming, that's going to be part of our family, day of birth came, mom changed her mind, okay, so that happened, and that was very sad, and right when that happened, the, 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 the temptation is to just dive into yourself and be sad. But I told some people here, and I guess that spread around. And I didn't have people, what's interesting is I didn't have people just text me saying like, hey man, let, let me know, you know, hey, it's okay. You need to be sad for a while, grief for a while. I didn't get none of that. I got the truth. I got true comfort from God's word. There were four or five separate people that sent us the same passage from Habakkuk 3. That reminded us of the steadfast love of God. I had a brother, he sent a, an audio file via text message of him praying for me. And in that prayer, he prayed, he didn't pray that I would just feel better. He prayed 
for supernatural trust, for me to trust in God. And I'm telling you, reading God's word and hearing the truth of God preached to you is much better than anything I can conjure up. We need to be speaking the word of God boldly to one another in times of sin and rebuking one another, in times of suffering and trial. The world is going to give me fluff. I get that at work. I, want, I don't want to stay where I'm at. I want my brothers and sisters to speak God's word to me and pull me out of it. And I want to do the same for you all. It's powerful. It's the way the church is supposed to work and operate. Because the world doesn't work that way. The world says, just do you. You need a few months of self-care, whatever that means. No, when I got those, I was... That supernatural trust, I can't explain. It's it this boldness of, these, of you brothers and sisters speaking God's word to me helped me and my wife. But that same boldness that we speak to one another is a gift from God. We got to lean and trust in God for this boldness because, listen, we got a lot of work ahead of us this week and next week. And I'm going to challenge you because, again, we, we think of these big things where we need to be bold, right? Like, um, like we have the apostles here being threatened, threatened with persecution, but you make choices every single day. You have conversations every single day. And I'm going to challenge you, when you wake up in the morning, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness to speak the truth of God to somebody whether that's praying for someone, whether that's telling them a truth from God's word, whether that's sharing the gospel with them, do it. And if you're scared of that, do you take these baby steps? Just daily, pray, God, you know I, I'm introverted, I don't like talking to people, but Lord, I know that your, your word, your truth, your gospel is what they need. Lord, help me, give me boldness, because I can't summon it on my own. Pray that as we pray together as the church. And finally, in verse 32, we see the boldness, the same boldness in community. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and grace, great great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I just want to say this before we talk about this anymore, because a lot of people are trying to do this. This is not trying to promote a political system, okay? That's not what's on the mind of, uh, of, of Luke here. He's trying to show us how the church functions. He's trying to show us the heart of the church because this church is not something that, that they did on their own. They were given bold witness. They were given bold generosity and bold sacrifice. They, they shared the gospel to one another. They reminded each other of the gospel. They took that gospel to the rulers of the world and to the nations, and they were generous and they were sacrificial, self-sacrificial, laying down their lives for one another. This is what the church looks like. And if we're going to be this church, 
There's no program, there's no formula that we, can, that we can develop in order to make us this church. No, this church is a church filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit that gives them these things. This is a group of normal, average, unspecial people in each other's lives and then going out and proclaiming the gospel to kings and rulers, and probably many of, the, well, many of them died. But they counted that the gospel is more important. They counted Jesus and his sacrifice because they're taking their cues not from something around them. The church right here that we're talking about is taking their cues from Jesus Christ because the church sees the witness of Christ, that, that Christ died for them. And that he, he was generous. He, he poured out his life so that they might live. They see his sacrifice. And the church there emulates that by serving one another. They see the gospel. And the gospel affects how they live life with one another. We saw this before in Acts 2. This summary of how the church is ministering and living and it's amazing, because we, we say, we're like, we need to go back and be like the Acts church. Well, you're here and now. There's not some formula they had, right? They're following the Spirit of God. They're trusting in the Spirit of God to guide them and lead them. And so, I just want to say this morning before we conclude that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what race you are, what class you are, what status you have, what ethnicity you are, whether you're smart, whether you're dumb, whether you're articulate, whether you have a stutter, it does not matter. Because ultimately, it is not your power that does the work. It is the Spirit of God, the God, the creator of the cosmos, who works through you. So next time you have an opportunity this week, because I'm, I'm telling you, this week you're going to have an opportunity. Just anticipate it. You're going to have an opportunity. I want you to remember what the church did. They prayed for boldness. Pray. Ask God to help you. Ask God to guide your words. Ask God to give you wisdom. Don't lean on your own understanding. And certainly, don't try and just put those conversations away and say, oh, I'll talk later because we're not promised another day. Be bold, church. Proclaim the gospel and proclaim what you have seen and heard. You don't need a seminary degree. In fact, that might hinder you. <laughs> proclaim what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to articulate all the nuances of the Trinity or, or whatever or any doctrine. Proclaim the gospel, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.